All right, we're going to get started with our time. So I, just to start, um, I've really enjoyed this class. I've enjoyed this week with y'all. I hope you guys as well. Uh, not just this class, but your other classes. Um, and then just being here at the beach. So hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, they're clapping for, no. Um, anyway, so kind of recap to to go over what we've talked about this whole week, but what have, what have we been talking about? Yeah, God's pursuit of us. And so on Tuesday we talked about how God's pursuit is what? Yeah, redemptive. And then Tuesday we were in the book of Jonah and talked about how God's pursuit is relentless, yes, sacrificial. And then yesterday we talked about active, right? God's pursuit is active. And um, our last class together, we're going to talk about how God's pursuit is transforming. That God saves us to transform us. Um, that's kind of the main, the main point, that God saves us to transform us. And so we're going to be in the New Testament today in Ephesians 2. And we're going to be looking at the first ten chapters. Um, but before we turn there, when you hear the word transformation, what do you think of? Yeah, something changing. What else? Better than before, yeah. Better than before, I like that. Better than before. So change, better than before. Anything else? What? Yeah, evolution, like something evolving over time. Transforming. Good, those, those are all... Those are all good things when we think of the word transformation. Um, so Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Is everyone there? Yay, nay. Amen. Yay, nay. All right. Oh, yeah, say amen. Yeah. All right, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is God's holy word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne of grace. And we can only do that because of the work that you have accomplished in Christ to save us, to redeem us, 
to deliver us from the bondage of sin. You have called us out of darkness into marvelous light. God, I pray that you would make known your ways to us through your word. God, we need you. We need your help. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a boy named Eustace in there. And Eustace is a boy who turns into a dragon. And C.S. Lewis has this powerful image of transformation in that story. And for those of us who aren't familiar with it, Eustace, he he was a rotten boy. And um, he found himself a large... he, He came into possession of a large fortune. And he starts thinking about the the life that he could have and the comforts he can now enjoy because of this large fortune. And what he does is he falls asleep with this new treasure. And when he awakes, he's no longer a boy, but he's a dragon. And the gold bracelet that he put on his arm when he was a boy is now constricting his dragon leg and the pain is piercing. But what's even worse than that pain of the gold bracelet is that now he's cut off from humanity and he's all alone. And he begins to cry. And Aslan comes to this dragon boy in mercy and compassion and he leads the dragon boy on top of a mountain and there's this well in the garden in the top of the mountain. And Eustace looks at the well and he looks at the water and he thinks if he could just get in the water, maybe the pain would be soothed. But Aslan tells him that first he's going to have to undress him. But Eustace, in a moment of confusion, he realizes that dragon skin is like snake skin and it sheds. So what he does is he takes his claws and he starts tearing away at the skin. And he tears the first layer only to realize that there's a second layer of skin. So he tries to tear away at that and he gets to the third layer and then he realizes that it's vain and that he can't clean himself up. He can't take away the pain. And so Aslan again says, you will have to let me undress you. And so this is what Eustace felt when Aslan started taking away the skin. He said, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass. And there I was, as smooth and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that very much because I was very tender and underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. As I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. And after a while, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. My friends, that is transformation. 
That's what happens when the gospel gets deep into our hearts and our lives. It transforms us. We who were once dead in our sins are now made alive because of Jesus. And Ephesians 2 is an example of what happens when the gospel transforms our lives. What happens before we know Christ and after we know Christ. It's a transformation from death to life. And so I have three points for us to consider this morning. The first point is this. Our need. That all of us in this room, we have the same problem. And we've discussed what that problem is. Our, 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 that problem is sin. But also at the same time, all of us in this room have the same need. We have, and our, the, the need that we have is that we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. That all of us in this room are sinners in need of grace. In need of rescue. And so gospel, that word gets thrown around a lot in Christian circles. But what does it mean? What is the gospel? Forgiveness, yeah. What else? What? Yeah, good news. It literally, that word literally means good news. Yeah, good news, forgiveness. What else? What? Yeah, redemptive. Y'all give me, give me two more. Give me two more. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's good. Someone else got one more? What? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Why do we need the gospel? Yeah, we're dead in our sins. Without it, we're lost. Without it, we're dead, right? The first three verses in Ephesians 2 are an explanation of why we need the gospel. And this whole week, we've talked about how we run from God because of sin. We've talked about how sin affects all of, of, uh, affects all of humanity. It affects the world, right? That all of humanity is sitting in darkness. And that you and I need the good news of Jesus Christ. But before we hear the bad news, I mean the good news, we have to hear the bad news. And that's what Paul does. He, he starts with the bad news. He starts with what we were before Christ. And so let's just look at, at what we were before Christ. The first thing that, that Paul says in verse 1, how does he start it off? He says, and you were what? Dead, right? <laughs> wow, that's encouraging, right? But he's like, we were dead, right? The Bible talks about how the wages of sin is death. Sin never leads to life. But here's what I think we can do. We convince ourselves that it does. And we convince ourselves that sin equals freedom. But sin always leads to death. And sin always equals bondage. It's enslavement. And so when Adam and Eve, when, when we talk about Genesis 3, Adam
Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden and they sinned, death came into the world, a physical and spiritual death. Now, a spiritual death looks like, looks like this. What that means is that we're dead to righteousness, we're dead to obedience, we're dead to holiness. In our sin, we don't pursue God. In our sin, we're not craving God. We're not wanting God, right? Second thing that, that Paul talks about is that he says we're disobedient. And we saw that in Genesis 3, right? How we disobey God just like Adam and Eve. And so this whole week we've been building up to this moment in Ephesians 2. I hope you see that, that we're, we've been building to this. And so Paul, I mean, he doesn't shy away from, from our true condition. He says, we have followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of, of the air, Satan, following our sinful desires and thoughts. You see, I think sometimes we can make sin to not be a big deal or we kind of get a little comfortable with it. But the Bible talks about how it is a big deal, right? And we need to grasp the reality of sin and the reality of our condition without Christ. Because here's the thing, you will never... Here's the thing. You'll never think you need a Savior if you think you just really aren't that bad. I'm really not that bad. Compared to those people over there, I'm not that bad, right? We pick the worst possible person on the earth and we compare ourselves to that person and say, well, I haven't done that, so I'm, I'm pretty good. But the Bible talks about how we all fall short of the glory of God. And what that means that we all fall short of the glory of God is this. Say, say I, I said, all right, guys, we are gonna, we're going to take a rock or I guess a, a shell from the beach. But let's do a rock. We're going to take a rock and we're going to see who can throw the rock the furthest. But our aim is going to be the North Pole. Can any of us reach the North Pole with a rock? That's not a trick question. That's a, no, right? We can't do that, right? Now, I may, I, may fur, I may throw further than the next person, but here's the point is that we all fell short of the aim. We all fell short of the target. And that's the point, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we really are that bad, that we really are that sinful. You're probably thinking, wow, that's super encouraging, right? <laughs> but we need to feel the weight of that. And we need to, because when we feel the weight of that, we feel the weight of, of our need of a Savior. Third thing, Paul talks about how we're doomed. God doesn't sweep sin under the rug, but He deals with it. And He judges it. And God's right to judge our sin because He's holy and He's righteous. And he's just. And God hates what sin does to us. Because it destroys us. But here's the good news. Is that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. That Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink grace. And as we talked about in Jonah, in, in chapter 1 if you remember... 
We talk about how Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's judgment so that we could be saved and not destroyed. Second point. So, well, first, spiritually dead, disobedient, following the ways of the world, following Satan, following our sinful desires and thoughts. But look at verse 4. What are the first two words in verse 4? Say a little bit louder. But God. Those are the greatest and the sweetest words that you will ever hear. But God. If I could, I'd get that tattooed on my head. But like, no, I would. But but God. That is beautiful. You see, God came to our rescue. God doesn't leave us with dragon skin on. He doesn't He doesn't leave us in that condition, in our sinful condition. And if you look at, at verses four through seven. Paul describes the goodness of God. He uses terminology like rich in mercy. He's loved us with a great love. His grace is amazing. And God has lavished His infinite riches of grace to us. And my question to you is, and think about this question, do you think God... Do you think of God in this way? I was talking with one of my friends from college, and it was a time when I was really wrestling with and doubting God's grace. I remember telling her, I said, I said, you know, well, like God's grace, like, yeah, that's for other people, but not for me. I said, I'm I'm just like too messed up. I'm too far gone. How can God love me, right? Um, Andy Minio, he's a Christian rapper. Um, but he came out with a, an EP album not too long ago. And he has this song on there called Shame. And he has this lyric in there that I so resonate with. And I think some of you might resonate with this lyric as well. But he says this. He says, I'm trying to convince God that I'm not a waste of his time. And I remember hearing that lyric and I was like, man, this dude just said everything that I feel. But he said, I'm trying to convince God that I'm not a waste of his time. Some of you in this room are trying to convince God like you're not a waste of his time. And here's the thing, God doesn't need convincing. You're not a waste of his time. And here's the deal. No one is beyond the reach of God's transforming grace. And no one is beyond the need of God's transforming grace. Let me say that again. No one is beyond the reach of God's transforming grace. And no one is beyond the need of God's transforming grace. For those of you who are Christians in this room, don't think that, Oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm good. Like, I've arrived. You haven't arrived. Paul David Tripp says, We are not grace graduates. We are not gospel graduates because we've become a Christian. We still need God's transforming grace. We still need the gospel just as much as those who don't believe. 
Third thing, God's pursuit is transforming. God takes what is dead and He makes it alive. There's a passage in Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel 36. And turn there with me. It's Ezekiel 36. It's in the Old Testament. And verses 25 through 27. And to give us some context uh, before we read, Ezekiel was a prophet of God. And during this time, God's people were exiles in Babylon. And they had lost hope. And they were people who were filled with doubts. And they were looking at the mess of their lives. And, and that, that's kind of why they were filled with doubt. And I'm sure they had questions of like, has God given up on us? Was God powerful and just? Was He good? And what God does in these verses is He answers their doubts with a promise. So Ezekiel 36, 25-27. God says, I will, sprinkle you clean, I will sp- sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Right after God makes this promise, God takes Ezekiel to a valley filled with dead, dry bones. And God asks asks Ezekiel, he said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And by faith, Ezekiel is like, oh Lord, you know. And God asks, he asks Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, I want you to pray to these dead bones. And I'm like, okay, alright God. And by faith, Ezekiel does what God, God says and he starts preaching to these dead bones. He's preaching, what begins to happen is that the bones begin to link together to form skeletons. Now, imagine if you were in this valley and all of a sudden you see these bones just like coming up and they start forming the skeleton. I would probably run in the other direction and be like, this is, this is too creepy, right? But Ezekiel doesn't do that. He continues to preach. And what begins to happen is that muscle and skin start covering the bones. And this valley that was filled with dead, dry bones is now... Well, actually, then what happens after that is that God breathes life into these bodies. And they come to life. And the, and the valley that was filled with dry bones is now a place where it's a living army of God. God has the power... To make what's dead come alive. Spiritual death. To phys- I mean, spiritual death. To make alive. And here's the thing. God's pursuit is transforming. 
Do I have any fans in here who are fixer-upper fans or like home renovation? Okay, home renovation shows. Um, whenever I have downtime, I'm like, oh, I'll watch HGTV. And usually it's fixer-upper. And I can like binge watch that show. I love Chip and Joanna. And so they take they take the worst home in in the best neighborhood, usually in the in the Waco, Texas area, and they transform that house into a beautiful home. And it's like usually all white, and it's so crisp looking, and it makes it's just beautiful, right? I think I think one of the reasons why we love shows like that. And why we love movies and stories and books that have redemptive endings. It's because deep down inside we all long for what's wrong to be made right. We all long for, for what's broken to be restored. We long for what's wrong in our families or what's wrong in our friendships or what's wrong with our relationships to be made right. Because we see that our world is broken. And here's the thing. The work that God has done to rescue you and me is exactly that. It is God's work. And Paul tells us that. God t- uh, Paul says it's God's work, but he also says it's a gift. And this is what Paul says. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How do we respond to God's pursuit of us? How do we respond to God's goodness in our lives? Belief. Belief. Faith. What we see here is that it is a gift of God. And this gift is free. What do you do when someone gives you a gift besides say thank you? Like after you've said thank you, what do you do? Yeah, like you you open it. You just don't like, oh, thanks. And you just leave it on the table and go on with what you were doing. But don't you want to open it? with Like you open it with excitement and you want to see what's in it because you're like, I got to open this gift, right? God has given us the gift of Jesus and it's ours to take by faith. It's free to you. You didn't earn the gift. You didn't have to go out and buy the gift for yourself. It was given to you to open and to receive by faith. And here's the thing. As Christians, we're not saved because we're prettier than other people. Or that we're smarter than other people. Or that we're, we are more gifted than other people. All of it is is because of the goodness of God. God is the one who sent Jesus to take our place. And He has given us the faith to believe in Him. You see, God's pursuit changes us, it is changing us, and it will forever change us. Um, 
And here's the thing, it changes how we live right here, right now, in this world. And another thing about God and His kindness towards us is that God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do the Christian life alone. Actually, we were never meant to live life alone. But God has given us His Holy Spirit to come and live inside us. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit gives us new desires and new passions and new loves so that we actually are able to enjoy the God we once didn't trust in. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's the thing. You and I have the power to live a transformed life because we're connected to the power of God. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives inside of you if you're a Christian. And it enables, it empowers you to live this life. This transformed life. Like I said before, I, um, I love this topic about God's pursuit of us. Because it is something that has impacted my life when I was in high school. And, and now. The truth that God is pursuing you. It's really beautiful if you think about it. Um, I've enjoyed our time together. Um, for those of you who are Christians in this room, it's my prayer that you would continue to grow in grace and live out this transformed life. And for those of you who, who aren't, and you're still trying to figure this out, and, and you're still unsure, um, it's my prayer that today would be the day of salvation for you. That the things that we talk about here at RYM and in your youth groups, it really is a matter of life and death. And it's my prayer that, that we would walk away from this knowing that God loves us, that God's pursuing us, that He's gracious towards us. And that he wants to have a relationship with you. So let me pray for, for us. And then you're free to leave. Dear Heavenly Father, 